Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. Alrighty, if you've got a Bible, let's, uh, let's turn, if we can, to the book of Isaiah, um, chapter 58. Isaiah 58. Just as you turn there, listen to, listen to this. Let us consider the forming of walls, the mortar of words I use to form walls, to make my side a better side. The other side is where the other side resides. I'm on the right side and you are not. The side you're on is undesirable and my side is right because I am right and you are wrong. You disturb my side with your words. Your words spread fear and mine bind my walls with the mortar of reason. You're unreasonable. You disturb me, raise unreasonable questions about sides. Your living space, my living space, which is mine by right, and yours, which is not yours by right. You have no right to be where you are because I am here. Because I am here, you cannot be. You cannot be. You're on the other side, the other side of me. I didn't know I was on a side until a wall was built. And then I knew I was on, on a side, the wrong side. This is a poem that I found online uh, written by Robert Vastias called Every Wall Has Two Sides. We are in the second week of our uh, series, our five-week series, which is starting off the new year, entitled Spoken Over Us, uh, God's Prophetic Words uh, to Us from the Book of Isaiah. This, I want to make this very clear, if James didn't do so last week, this is not a, a walk through the Book of Isaiah, this is not a study from the Book of Isaiah, but it's, it's looking and exploring some of the significant and important prophetic words that God has declared to us some of which find their origin in the book of Isaiah, and some of them, the essence of the prophetic word is wonderfully captured by a particular text in the book of Isaiah. And so we're taking five weeks just to emphasize some of those very, very important words. James did a wonderful uh, 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 job last week of setting up the series for us, and he spoke just initially about what is a prophetic word. And I want to encourage you, if you are not familiar with what prophetic words are or what prophetic ministry is or, or how does God speak, I want to encourage you to listen to the sermon last week. He also mentioned that what we've done as an eldership team is what Scripture requires us to do. We've, we've taken the words that God has spoken over us. We've taken the things that God has declared over this church and we've, we've, we've held them up into the light of scripture. We've, we've held on to that which remains, that which we feel God is confirming in us. And it's important that we do that because as James mentioned last week, Jesus is the head of his church. Not just this church, but the church universal. Every church that exalts the name of Jesus, Jesus is the head of his church. And it's our conviction, both from experience, but also from the word of God, It's our conviction that Jesus speaks to his people. And we need to have an ear to hear what the Lord is saying. Jesus, as the head of his church, universal, doesn't just speak to us generally, but he's the head of this specific church. Uh, God has set in place elders and deacons to to help the leadership of this church, but but I I hope you know that it's very much us working under the headship of Jesus Christ. And so because Jesus is the head of this church, Jesus speaks very specifically into our context and, and gives words that are, that are unique and specific for this time and for this, and for this place and for this city. And the third thing James very importantly mentioned last week was the fact that most of you sitting here uh, this morning have chosen and felt that God has led you to be part of this church. 
And so I want to say it's not just our responsibility as an eldership team, but it's, it's your responsibility as, as those who are part of this family to discover and to remember what the Lord is calling us to do and what the Lord is calling us to be so that we can give ourselves wholeheartedly to that. I think it's so important not just to know what, what we are, but also what we're not. It's not, just, it's not just important to know where God is taking us, but where God is not taking us. And so I hope these uh, next five weeks, this is part two, would, would just help uh, solidify some of those specific words that God has, has shared um, over us. So this morning's message is entitled, The Repairer of Broken Walls. And uh, there's two verses that I want to mention out of Isaiah. Isaiah 58 verse 11 and 12, and then Isaiah 61 verse 4. Isaiah 58 verse 11, the second half of verse 11 through to verse 12 says this, You will be like a well-watered garden. Like a spring whose waters never fail, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. I love that. I love that verse. And then verse 4 of Isaiah 61 says something very similar. It says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. The poem that I read as my introduction this morning was actually an excerpt of a poem that was written just last Christmas, uh, specifically written for a Christmas exhibit in London. Um, St. James's Church Piccadilly uh, established this, uh, this particular exhibit called Bethlehem Unwrapped. And the centerpiece of this particular Christmas exhibit was a life-size replica, 26 feet high concrete wall, a life-size replica of a portion of the wall that is currently surrounding the city of Bethlehem. And it separates Israel from Lebanon, I think it is. And this particular wall, you'll see pictures, uh, Connor, if you can just put the, the, the next picture on, you'll see picture, uh, there's actually a, a picture of the wall to my right, where the wall was specifically and intentionally built into the very courtyard of the church, intentionally obscuring views of the, of the 17th century building. And it was doing so to kind of capture the heart of the poem, which was the last verse, I did not know I was on a side until a wall was built. And then I knew I was on a side, the wrong side. If you know your history well, or like me, if you're old enough, you, you might remember in 1987, and it seems crazy to say if you're old enough to remember in 1987, but uh, 1987, President Reagan challenged Soviet President Gorbachev with these words, and um, you'll see the picture behind me. He said this, uh, General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, If you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. I'm not an actor, so I can't do it like Ronnie did. Open this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. And then he declared, tear down this wall. And obviously, he's referring to the Berlin Wall that you see behind me. When we consider the building of walls, some people think that building building walls is essential because it provides protection. I grew up in a nation that most of the, uh, of the inhabitants live behind eight-foot-high concrete walls. And so people think, some people think building walls is essential for protection, but those, safe cell, those, those uh, self-same walls, uh, while some consider are necessary for protection, others view those walls as reasons for segregation. 
And, and when we consider that, that God is calling us to be repairers of broken walls, these provide challenges for us. Whether for the right reason or the wrong reason, as soon as someone establishes a wall, it automatically or immediately differentiates people simply by virtue of their location. If you're on the wrong side or the right side of the wall. And so when I read Isaiah 58 it's, it, it, and have all these questions. What happened? Oh, okay. <laughs> when I read Isaiah 58 and I, and I consider the fact that we're called to be repairer of broken walls and I, and I understand the emotion and the challenge that comes with the, with the, with the understanding of, of walls, uh, it's, with, it's with some caution and with some trepidation that we need to consider this particular topic this morning. A couple of questions I was wrestling through this week. How do we reconcile building of walls and, and what God has called us to do? Is peace and joy and reconciliation really possible while we are called to be repairers of broken walls? Or surely the kingdom of God and building walls are incompatible? And I want to say to you guys today, and this is kind of where we're going, the, the way that we reconcile these questions, the way that we, we, we try to grasp and understand this concept of being called to be repairers of broken walls is when we remember what, what we are called to build. Or, or, or maybe I should be a little bit more specific. Not necessarily what we are called to build, but specifically what Jesus says he's building and what he invites us to, to partner with him in doing. There's only one thing in Scripture that Jesus says that he's building. And we know that amazing verse in Matthew chapter 16 where, where he asks, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, declares, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, he says, you are right. And he says, he goes on to say, on this rock, on, on this revelation, the, the supernatural revelation of, of Jesus as Lord and Savior, on that rock, Jesus says, I will build my church. And Jesus very specifically didn't say, you will build my church. He didn't, he, didn't say, he didn't say, I will build your church. And he didn't say to us, you go and build your church. He says, I will build my church. And, and amazingly, we are invited to be, to be partners with Jesus in establishing and building that which he's already doing. And so what I want to do this morning is, is to have a look at this church that Jesus is building. The very thing that, the, the, the only thing that Jesus says he's establishing in, in the nations is his church, raising up a community, raising up a people of God. And I want us to have a look at that today and see where, where do we fit in? What is our role in, in helping Jesus do what he's called to do? And so with that in mind, I want to take, perhaps a surprising scripture for some, but a prophetic picture of the church in Revelation 21. And if you have a Bible, perhaps you can turn there with me. Revelation 21. We're going to look at quite a chunky piece of scripture um, but let's unpack it together. It'll be on the screen behind me. You can just follow along as we go. Starting in verse 9, it says this, One of the seven angels, this is John, uh, the, the apostle John, uh, who's been exiled to the island of Patmos. Is, is, most of the book of Revelation is, is, a, is his prophetic vision that he's been given. On the, one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of seven last plagues came and, and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride. The wife of the Lamb. And just to pause there, just to make sure we get that, the, the angel is saying to John, I'm going to show you a picture of the bride of Christ. And I hope you all know that we are the bride of Christ. We are the wife of the Lamb. So, so what's about to unfold is a symbolic picture of what we, the church of Jesus Christ, is called to be. In verse 10, it carries on. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. 
And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So, so the angel takes John in the spirit and he, and he shows him this, this prophetic or this symbolic picture of what the bride of Christ is meant to be. As I say, remember, please, throughout the next 20 minutes of the sermon, don't see this as a physical city necessarily. See this as a symbolic picture of what the people of God are called to be. And then he goes on to describe in verse 11 this incredible, incredible, magnificent, amazing picture of the people of God. Speaking of the city in verse 11, it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had, it had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east and three on the north and three on the south and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it, as it, as it, was, as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. I, I can't help but think of that wonderful verse in Ephesians chapter 3. This city is a square. It's as wide as it is high as it is deep as it is long. And that, that beautiful scripture in Ephesians 3 where Paul says, that's what the love of God is like. The love of God is, is wide and, and high and deep and long. Verse 17 he measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, and he goes on to describe different precious stones. But let's move down to verse 21. The 12 gates were, were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not, listen to this, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need a sun or a, or a moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and the Lamb is its lamp, and the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will not be night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I love that verse. I love that passage. And, and, and this, along with many, many other prophetic passages in the Word of God, uh, take time to use symbols to, to describe what the people of God are called to be. Just in, very quickly, those few passages we've looked at, the one out of Isaiah 58, and this particular v uh, passage uh, is full of symbolism. In Isaiah 58, it talks about the fact that we are called, the people of God are called to be like a well-watered garden. That means, friends, that, that you and I are meant to be full of life. We're meant to be flourishing. We're meant to be bountiful and abundant. We're meant to be pleasing to look at, not dreary and upset, but full of the life of God. Isaiah 58 goes on to say that we're called to be a spring that never fails. Friends, the people of God are meant to be overflowing with the life of God. 
consistent and, and able to be a resource of God's blessing to those who are in need. Isaiah 58 mentions that we're called to be repairers of broken walls and restorers of streets with dwellings. We're, we're called to partner with Jesus in, in building his church. And, and it goes on in this particular passage that we've just looked at, Revelation chapter 21, describing that we're called to be a holy city. And we're going to come to that in a short while, but just a couple of other symbolic references to the people of God. We are the wife of the lamb, it says. We're the bride of Jesus Christ. Elsewhere in the book of Revelation, it says that, that the bride of Christ is, is adorned in these beautiful white robes because we are meant to be a holy people. We're meant to be a righteous people. We are a righteous people, made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. In Revelation 22, immediately after the passage we just read, the Bible speaks about the fact that the people of God are like the river of life that flows from the presence of God. And that's exactly what we're called to be, friends. We're called to, to flow with the life of God from the throne room of God into the nations, bringing salvation, bringing healing, bringing God's life. Friends, this is the picture of the kingdom. This is the picture of what the church is meant to look like. This is not just some description of, of a random individual here and there. You know, this is not just isolating a particular person and saying, well, that's what applies to them. No, this is what we are as a body. This is what we are as a community. This is what we are as the city of God. That's why we, we place such an incredible emphasis, not because it's our desire as, as, as elders, but it's because it's God's desire in his word for us to emphasize the importance of, of family and community because we're called to be this together. We've had a, a wonderful uh, uh, um, uh, season, it feels like it's been four or five years, where it just seems to be child after child after child being birthed into this church, and, and, it's, and it's wonderful and exciting, and, 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 but if we think about that, as a child, you are born as alone, you are born by yourself, but as soon as you are born, as soon as you breathe your first, you are born into a family, and that's what it's like spiritually too, friends. We, we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior on our own. We, we're not saved because of the, of the faith of my father or saved because of the faith of my friend. We're saved and receive Jesus alone as Lord and Savior. But the moment we, we confess Jesus as Lord, we are meant to be plugged into and born into this community, into a community or a family. And it's not just isolated individuals that God wants this to be. And it's, it's also not just a, a single church that God wants to, to, for, for his people to be like this. This is not just God's plan for church in the city. This is God's plan for, for all churches who lift up and exalt the name of Jesus. That's why, friends, we place such an emphasis on us partnering with other churches. Because this glory that is promised in Revelation 21 is not just for us. Remember Ephesians 4, God, uh, uh, Paul helps us understand where Jesus is taking his church. He's, he's, he's maturing his bride. He's bringing us to a place where there is unity of faith and knowledge in the Son of God. I have no idea how that's going to happen. Honestly, I have no idea how we are going to find ourselves standing alongside Anglicans and, and Baptists and, and Presbyterians and and. and, and crazy charismatics and, and Pentecost. I don't know how it's going to work, but somehow God in his knowledge and glory is going to bring us to a place where we are going to stand shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters and represent what God is calling us to represent. And that's, what, that's the people of God. I want to focus a little bit this morning on this picture of the holy city that's coming down from heaven. 
And before we do that, we need to ask this very important question. Is, is this picture that we've just read in Revelation 21, is that a picture of how the church is meant to be right now? Or, or is that a picture of, of how the church will be in its maturity just before Jesus returns? Remember, the Bible says Jesus is returning for a mature bride. So, so we, where we are right now, we, we are becoming more and more like Jesus. And just before Jesus returns, we are going to be a mature church. So, so is this picture a picture of where the people of God are right now? Or, or is, it, is it in our maturity just before Jesus returns? Or is this a picture of what we will be like one day after Jesus comes? And I want to suggest to you, friends, it's a picture of all three. It's ultimately going to be fulfilled. It's, it's an ultimate picture of what we're going to be one day after Jesus has returned. But I want to suggest it's a picture of all three. I listened to a guy called Michael Eaton quite a bit, a, a preacher from, from, from Africa. And, and, and he talks, he does a wonderful job of explaining biblical prophecy. He says often biblical prophecy is given like a panorama. You know, if you take a, 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 panoramic, a, a panoramic photograph of a city, and, and with the iPhones you can do that nicely. You kind of start on one end and you, you take an entire span of the city and you pack everything into the one photograph. But it takes some time to kind of work your way through the photograph to see exactly what you've captured. And Michael Eaton suggests, and I think he's very, he's very accurate in saying this, he says most of biblical prophecy crams into the, pro- the, the prophecy everything that God wants to do. And then slowly over time, we begin to see it unpacking. There's so many examples, but I'll give you one. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11, in time you can go and have a look at it, starts off speaking of Jesus. And it says, Isaiah has this prophetic picture of a stump, the stump of Jesse. And he says, from this little stump of Jesse, who was the father of David, comes this little shoot. And it's a prophetic picture of the coming of Jesus in the, in the, in the, in the line of David. A few verses later, he talks about the, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Speaking prophetically of Jesus receiving the anointing of the Holy Spirit. A few verses later, it says that that the rod of his mouth will strike the nations. Speaking one day of when Jesus returns, he's going to return and he's going to judge his enemies. Jesus is going to come and he's going to defeat his enemies. And then lastly, right at the end of of Isaiah 11, he speaks about the wolf lying down with with the lamb. And the infant playing at the serpent's hole. So in, in, one, in a few verses, Isaiah chapter 11, we have this entire panorama of the ministry of Jesus Christ. But it takes time to unpack. So I say all that to say, friends, yes, this is a picture of what the church of Jesus Christ will be one day. But I want to say, this is something of what we should be doing already and should be seeing already. We are already the people of God who are, who are like a city placed on a hill and cannot be hidden. You look back on, on, on world history, and we don't have time to do it, but you look back on world history, and I want to tell you, most of the significant moments in world history, are, are the people of God are behind some of those significant things. Things that we take for granted, democracy and, 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 and fair labor practices and, and, and all of those kinds of things, behind them were Christians becoming, being the people of God. We already are the city on a hill. A, a blessing to Chicago, friends. We shouldn't be cowered away, hidden behind the four walls of church in the city, afraid for people to see us. Where God has placed you at work, he wants you to be a city on a hill. Where God has placed you at school, he wants you to be a shining light to the people around you. We already are that city on a hill. We already are, in verse 11, the, the radiating the glory of God, brilliant like precious jewels. I love that. Friends, 
You and I should be radiating. You and I are radiating the glory of God. I was so challenged by this the other day. I was on a prayer walk, a prayer walk of all things. And I walk past a homeless man and he looks at me and he says this. Why so grumpy, my friend? I'm on a prayer walk praying for the glory of God to be upon me. And a homeless man says to me, why so grumpy, my friend? I was not radiating the glory of God. But we should be. We should be, friends. We should be radiating the glory and the goodness and the life of God, the holiness of God, the joy of God, the purity of God. Can I say this, friends? Purity and joy are not inconsistent terms. Purity doesn't mean that we have to become somber and serious. We are being shaped into the image of God. We are a pure people. We are a people who say no to unrighteousness. But there is joy and life coming out of us. Murray McShane was a 19th century Scottish preacher. And he died in his 30s. And his very last sermon was preached on Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1. Which speaks about arise, shine, for for the light of God has come. And that week he contracted an illness and died. And and a few days after his death, they were going through his belongings and they discovered a letter that he had been reading after the last sermon that he preached. And the letter said this, I hope you will pardon a stranger for addressing you a few lines. I heard you preach last Sunday evening and your sermon brought me to Christ. It was not anything you said, but it was what you were as you preached. For I saw in you a beauty of holiness that I had never seen before. You were about the glory of God, resting on the Savior, and I saw the Savior's glory resting on you. That brought me to Christ. And it's not about preaching the word, friends. It's about being the people of God. It's about being the people of God, shining the glory and the brilliance of Jesus in the city in which we live. But it speaks of this in these verses, that this holy city has walls. If we look at verse 12 with me, it has... It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east and three on the north and three on the south and three on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And to understand this concept of what, what, what does the wall mean, we, we need to cast our minds back to understanding that, that much of symbolism in the, old, in the Bible is linked back to Old Testament symbolism. And many cities, or most cities in, in, the, in the Old Testament, were cities that were surrounded by walls. It clearly marked, there was a clear demarcation as to when the city started and when the city ended. It's not like Chicago. If, if you weren't familiar with Chicago and you were to drive uh, west or north or south on any of the expressways, you wouldn't know if you weren't familiar w- at w- what point the city ends and what point the next city starts. It kind of just blends into one. But in Old Testament times, the, the, the cities were very distinct. They were surrounded by walls. And I want to say, friends, the people of God, we need to understand, are a very distinct people. We're not distinct because we're holy, even though we are or should be holy. We're not distinct because we pray or read our Bibles, even though we do pray and read our Bibles. We're not distinct because we're part of a community, even though we are part of a community. We're we're distinct for this and this reason alone. Because we are saved by putting our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what makes us distinct. We're not distinct because of the, 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 the quality of our faith. We're not distinct because of the quantity of our faith. 
We're distinct because of the object of our faith, and that is Jesus Christ. I love the, I love the picture of, the, of the, that Old Testament picture in Exodus of the Passover. Moses brings a word to the people of Israel. Take the, the, the blood of the lamb and mark it on, the, on your doorpost because the angel of death is going to move through, through Egypt. And everyone, everyone who did what the word of the Lord said and, and hid their family underneath the blood of the lamb, the angel of death passed over them. And it didn't mean, it, it, it didn't matter whether you, you were full of faith believing that this was going to happen, believing that Moses was saying the truth, or it didn't matter whether you were doubting Moses, but you did it anyway. Because we're not saved by the quality or quantity of our faith. We're saved if we hide underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what makes us a distinct people. But I want to say, friends, as this picture so wonderfully describes, we, we, we don't build these walls so we can hide behind them. We don't build these walls so that we can separate ourselves from the world. We don't build these walls so that we can segregate others and, and say, well, we want no part of you. Most Old Testament cities had one wall through which people would come and go. And that wall would close every single night. But you see, the picture of the people of God are, are a people that are surrounded by these walls. But there's not just one gate. There's, there's three gates pointing to the east and, and three gates pointing to the west and, and three gates pointing to the south and three gates pointing to the north. And, and, it's, and it says that, that we're not meant to be hiding behind these walls, all afraid of the world. No, we, we, we are a distinct people, but we're called to go out to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west to proclaim the good news of what Jesus has done in our lives so that we can bring others in. And these gates, friends, are never shut. You know why? Because these verses tell us there is no nighttime. The radiance of, of Jesus Christ is shining amongst his people so brightly that there is nothing that, that, that we are afraid of. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors, Romans chapter 8 talks about. So friends, we are, yes, we, are, we have these walls, but we have these gates that encourage us, that invite us to go out into the nations to share this good news. And the nations are already coming in. Listen to um, verse 24. The nations will, will walk by the light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it, into the people of God. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no nighttime and the glory of, and honor of the nations will be brought into it. The price has been paid, friends, for every single person on this planet. The price has already been paid. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is enough. It was enough for me. It's, been, it's enough for probably most of you sitting in this room. And I want to say it's enough for the world as well. It's enough for the most uh, a sinful person you could think of, the most awful person that comes to your mind right now. Let me tell you, the blood of Jesus Christ paid for his sins or paid for her sins if only they would accept. And that's why, friends, we cry out that's why we spend time praying on a Wednesday night. Wednesday prayer meetings are half of the job. Wednesday prayer meetings are half of the job. We're called to cry out. We're called to, to partner with Jesus. We're called to partner with the Spirit. As the book of Revelation, uh, where is it, 22, says this. Um, where is it? Here it is. Re Revelation 22, verse 17. The Spirit and the bride. Who's the bride? We are. The Spirit and the bride say what? Say, come. Come. 
And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. That's why we pray on a Wednesday night. We pray so that the people of our city would come and receive the free gift that Jesus has paid already for them. We've got gates open to the east and to the west and to the north and to the south. That we would be a blessing to our city to our neighborhoods, and to the nations of the world. And as I bring this into land, I want to just say this as I end. The greatest part of this holy city is not the fact that we are a people of God situated on this high hill for, for all to see. The greatest part of the, of the city of God is not that we are this river that's flowing from the throne room of God into the nations. The greatest part of the people of God is not that we are the bride of Christ, intim- enjoying intimacy with Jesus. The greatest part of the fact that we are the people of God is not that we are a holy city radiating the glory of God. The greatest part, the greatest aspect of the people of God is this. Jesus is at our center. Jesus is in our midst. Verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it its light. Friends, we, don't, we, we have the glory of God in our midst and we are meant to be reflecting the glory of God for the glory of God gives it its light and the Lamb is its lamp. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our King. Jesus is the reason why we can radiate His glory and His goodness. Earlier on in the book of Revelation, John the Apostle describes Jesus like this. He says, I turned and I, and I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to His feet and with a golden sash around His chest. His head and his hair were were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And we are called to reflect this Jesus. I heard a friend of mine preach on this once a couple years ago, and he, and he said, and it, just, it was a wonderful reminder, you know when the sun shines in summer, and, and you, look, you look up in the sun, even for you know, five or ten seconds, and you look away, and even when you close your eyes, all you can see is the image of the sun. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. You see, when, when we gaze upon Jesus, who is in the center of our lives, when we gaze upon Jesus, who is in the center of this church, when we gaze upon Jesus constantly, who is in the center of the people of God, that the image of Jesus is imprinted almost on our, on our brains. No matter where we go, no matter even if we close our eyes, even if we're in total darkness, we close our eyes, the image of Jesus is still there. That's the Lord that we serve. That's the Lord of glory. Jesus is our first love. And he's building his church. And, and graciously and amazingly, he's invited you and he's invited me to partner with them in building this incredible community, this community of the people of God. We're called to be repairers of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. Father, we thank you so much for 
just this incredible call that rests upon us as, a, as your people. This amazing invitation, Lord God, that you've extended to us to, to partner with you, Jesus, in what you're doing in the nations. Jesus, I thank you for your people. I thank you that you are building and establishing your people, your holy city, your new Jerusalem that is coming down from heaven here to earth. Thank you, Lord God, for this incredible prophetic picture of of what you are already establishing. Not just one day we will be, but thank you, Lord, that we are already now. We are already those who are called to radiate your glory. We are already those who are called to, to go through the gates and into the neighborhoods and nations. Lord, I pray that that we would give ourselves simply and wholly to that which you are doing. Father, help us. Help us not to be a distracted people. Help us, Lord, not to be distracted by by by, by, by all that the world is doing or all that people even might be doing in your name, but you have no part of it. Help us to be completely consumed only by that which you are doing. Just as every eye is closed, I just want to pray for, for those who are here today. There was, a, there was a prophetic word that came through in our prayer meeting this morning. The picture was of someone building a puzzle. And, and the puzzle, the pieces were being put together. And the puzzle, the picture of the puzzle ended up being an eye. And the prophetic, the, the sense of what that prophetic word was communicating was that, that God is, is wanting to put the kind of piece us together as a community or into a community. And God is watching over that process. And he wants his people to, to be part of, of local churches and local churches to be working together. I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm not. I'm asking you in the grace of God to find a church, a family that you can be part of. Just as every eye is closed, I want to ask right now, this is just a, I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable. I want to pray for you that God would help you to find a community where you can knit in and give yourself to. So right now, if that's you, just, I'm not, I, my eyes are closed to you. Just lift your hands to the Lord. And, and, and Lord, I just pray for anyone here today who is wrestling and struggling with, with, with what it means to be part of a community. Even those, Lord God, who, who might have made this home but still struggle to, to really press in. And, and give themselves completely to this community. Father, let it not be a work of man. Let it not be out of obligation that they would respond. But Lord, let it be out of the prompting and the leading and the healing from the Holy Spirit. If there's, if there's brokenness or if there's pain or if there's hurt from past relationships or past church communities or church experiences, Father, I ask for for healing to come upon those people right now. Lord, I'm sure most of us here carry scars from from relationships. Would you heal me? Would you heal us all, Lord God? We want to build what you are building, Lord Jesus. Help us to do that, Lord. Amen. Just before I hand over to James, I want to just ask one last thing. If you're here today, And you've never given your heart to Jesus as Lord and Savior. I shared this morning out of Revelation 21, which speaks about the fact that the sacrifice has been paid. And right now, I know, because the Bible says so, the Holy Spirit is crying out, as many are in this room right now, crying out, come, 
Come, receive Jesus Christ as, as Lord and Savior. This is not an invitation to get religious. This is not an invitation to join this church. We don't, we don't come into relationship with God by, by doing things. We simply receive the free gift that Jesus is bringing before us, the free gift of himself. And with empty hands, he's inviting us to, to, open, with, to, to open our hands with, with emptiness and say, Lord, I, I've got nothing to give, but all I can do is just receive you. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to call you up front and stand in front of people, but I would love to pray with you right now. If you are here today, and in about 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you just to lift up your hand so that I know that you are here. I'm going to invite you to respond to an invitation, and I'll lead you in a prayer where you can say, Jesus, would you come into my heart as my Lord and Savior? I want to put my faith and my trust in you. If that's you today, can I ask you just to lift up your hand very quickly because I would love to lead you in a prayer this morning so that you can receive Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior. Anyone who would like to respond to that invitation? Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. May it burn in our hearts so that we can go from this place and share your love with those in our city. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Well, thanks so much for joining with our family today as we hear from the Lord and, and just, man, I'm just stirred. Um, what a good God to be about his purposes and to invite us to be uh, with him in that. So if you, um, as, we, as we close, we're going to go ahead and close. If you um, are trusting for the work of the Lord in your life and you'd like someone to stand in prayer with you, uh, we're going to have a team of people right up here up front who would love to do that with you. Uh, so please don't go far. And uh, if you, again, visited with us today, thanks. Don't be a stranger. Uh, go meet some people out at the visitor's table. Get some more refreshments. Get some more information about church in the city. And, um, yeah, have an awesome Sunday. And we'll see you Wednesday night at 630 for prayer at 1040 West Huron. All right? Have a blessed day. Thanks.